You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Would you go to Luke 17 this morning? I pulled two sermons that I, I thought I might be preaching one of these. And uh, the first one was from Hebrews chapter 11. And so <laughs> I got back to the hotel and went to the office area and shredded that one. <laughs> so we're in Luke this morning, Luke 17. And so uh, would you stand this morning as we give reverence to the reading of God's word? The scripture says this, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostle said unto him, uh, the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be planted into the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat. Doth he thank the servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all all those things which are commanded you, saying, uh, Say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty. Father, as as we assemble this morning... I know that there's real needs, uh, both physical and spiritual, that your people have this morning, and even reminded in a fresh way that there's real emotional needs and hurts that your people are dealing with. Uh, There's the burdens of churches back homes and families who need help and people that are in bondage to sin and addiction, and, and your men have come this week, this morning, with those burdens on their heart. And I pray that the word of God this morning, uh, the word that you were so gracious to give us and preserve for us, would speak and help and be a blessing to him this morning. I ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that everybody that would be here this morning knows what it is to face a task that in your own mind seems too hard for you. You look at it and think, I'm not sure there's any way that this is going to get done. I've preached this at church before and and kind of started different, but but we know what that's like. You know, in Vermont, we have what they call mud season, and and 50% of the roads in Vermont are mud, are dirt roads. And when you've got three to four foot of standing snow all winter long, all that starts to melt at the same time those roads just get really, really nasty. Then they warms up in the day, they turn to mud, they freeze at night, and those ruts are like, 
you can drive over them. They're not breaking, you know, they're frozen. And then through the day they warm up again and the ruts get worse and it's a repeated cycle. The roads just get miserable. And, and if you don't have a four-wheel drive, you just shouldn't try a lot of those roads. And, but, but I love the saying uh, that some of the old timers say in Vermont that, that really the only difference in two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive is how bad you get stuck. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I'm sure maybe in parts of this country as well, but, but I know there, you know, you can get in some situations that you wonder, how in the world am I going to get out of this situation? And, uh, and then when it comes to church planning, it's, it's like, you, like you almost face that on the daily. You know, that, um, that when you first get started and you think, how am I going to find a building and where am I gonna? Where are we gonna meet? And and we started in my living room, and and uh, in a in a in a 840 square foot house living room is where we started meeting. And I thought, how am I ever gonna get anybody to come to this tiny little house to come to a church when I'm in a town that have that has huge church buildings everywhere with gigantic steeples on top of it, and I'm inviting them to come to the church in the living room? How is this gonna work? Then finally we find a building and start remodeling that building. I'd never remodeled anything before. And, and I thought, how are we going to do this? And, and, and having to add a bathroom because there's only one bathroom in the facility and, and jackhammering concrete and putting in plumbing. I'd never done that before. And how are we going to do this? And, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, as you actually finally start to get some people to come in, you think, glory, we, you know, we've done something now and we, 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 we have a church now. And then you find out the people that are coming in have problems and they're looking to you to help them and thought, I don't know how to help people through this. I don't, I don't have that kind of marriage. I don't know how to help somebody through that. I don't know how to help somebody that, whose spouse has cheated on them. I don't know how to help somebody see uh, that continuing to give money to their drug addict child is not going to help them any. I don't know. I mean, we all know that, but how do you wake them up to that? How do you help them to really see that that is true? I, I don't know how to. I don't know how to even break through to this person with the gospel so that they'll accept it. I remember the first time that that I sat in the living room of somebody and, and went through the whole gospel plan and the husband that was there, he bowed his head and he prayed and we spent 45 minutes just working through the gospel and then I looked at his wife and I said, would you like to accept the Lord as your savior? And tears running down her face, she said, I don't. There's things in my life I don't want to give up. And I know if I do, I'm going to have to give those up. I don't want to. How do you break through to that? How do you, how do you help her realize that life in Christ is not just life, but it's abundant life, and it's so much better than anything that she would give up? I face things as a church planner. I know you face things as a church planner that you wonder, how is this going to happen? This seems impossible. $310,000 for 16 acres. Man, that seems like an incredible deal. But if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. How's this going to happen? How are we going to have another? How, I mean, just all the, all the things that you look at on a regular basis as a church planner, you think, 
I, I, there's just no way. And, and if we're honest, there's things in the Christian life that are the same. That as we look at the Christian life and what the Lord has called us to, I can't do that. When you read commentaries on Luke 17, there's a couple of different views on it. But some people say that Luke is kind of just throwing everything in, you know. Ran out of things to say for chapter 17. So he grabbed some things that happened here and there and chucked it all in chapter 17. Chapter 17 is full. Let's move on to chapter 18 now. I think we all know um, that's not the way the Lord works. God had a divinely inspired plan for this passage of scripture. And there's a flow of thought here and a unison of thought uh, that, that is so powerful when we take the time to study it. Jesus is teaching the disciples and says, it's impossible. It's impossible, but that offenses should come. Now, the offenses here and trespasses later are two different words. Offenses is stumbling blocks. It's snare wires. It's traps. It's things that are going to trip people up. And Jesus says, it's impossible, but that people are going to do things that trip people up. So it's going to happen, but woe to him. Uh, woe, woe unto him through whom they come. I don't think he's saying uh, that, that you'll never trip anybody up. Don't ever trip anybody up because let's be honest, we're going to trip people up. I'd love to say that every time I stood behind the pulpit and preached, my life perfectly mirrored what I was preaching. But it doesn't. Just counsel people and preach on being patient and loving and kind and loving your wife the way Christ loves the church. I haven't mastered that. And, and when he says in the next verse, it were better that a millstone be uh, tied about his neck and that he were cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. In this place, he's not talking about little ones as in children, but I really believe he's talking about little ones as in they're young in the faith. And they're the most susceptible to my hypocrisy. They're the most susceptible that when I get up and preach and my life doesn't match what I'm preaching, that they see right through that and, they, and it causes a stumbling block that, they, that might cause them to abandon any attempt at the Christian life. And so Jesus says, woe unto him through whom they come. And then he says, unrelated point, take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee. No, it's not an unrelated point. He's pointing out there are impossibilities to the Christian life. Yeah. You know, I, as a group of church planners, I'd imagine that the same passion and zeal and pioneering spirit that, that gets you up in the morning and gets you out door knocking and gets you doing things that when you look at you think they're impossible, I'd imagine that that same fire in you Makes it, diff, uh, makes it easy for you that when somebody trespasses against you, you say something to them about it. I, I just, personally, that's how it is for me. Um, you know, people in our church, they'll say, Pastor, I, don't, I, I thought maybe, you know, I'm, I'm from, I am from New England. That's, that's my nature. And so we're a little bit more like in, in like we're, we stick to ourselves some. And, you know, you go to the grocery store, or you go to the general store, uh, and, and you see people that you've seen every day of your life, 
But if you talk to them, it's weird. You, so you nod, and they nod, and that says, I'm good with you, and you're good with me. And I found in Oklahoma, people want more than a nod, you know? Uh, one time, we had a lady in our church whose, whose husband passed away, and we were there through that situation, and I was there with her, and, and um, you know, they are big, big, Oklahoma, big, like, I love you all the time. And, uh, and so, ev- like, every service, people are walking out the back door, hey, good to see you, preacher day, love you, we'll see you tonight, you know. That's just not from Vermont, that's just, you don't do that, you know. Um, you might love somebody, but you, it's, you don't want anyone to know that you love somebody, you know. <laughs> It's just the way we are. And so um, I remember, you know, in that situation, I just came up to her and told her, you know, we love you, Miss Amelia, we're praying for you. And she started crying just over that, you know, just because I told her I loved her. And it was a really a, a wake-up call to me that, like, wow, this is it's really big to them. Um, and so people will ask sometimes, like, you okay? You upset with me? I tell them, look. If there was something that I needed to address, I'd address it. There's just not. You know, we're good. And so I don't have a problem with, with the first part. But you know what I can have a problem with? Uh, and if that brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. Amen. Let's go. And if he repent, forgive him. I think, you know, we're... Maybe one of, those, one of those is easier for us than the others. Some people look at rebuke and think, I can't do that. That's impossible. And other people look at the forgive and think, that's going to be really hard too, you know, because I'm black and white. I know them. They're not even really sorry. Whether they are or not, you know, that's just, I'm just being honest and transparent with you today. That's just the way we kind of think. You know, uh, favorite bumper sticker in Vermont, you've seen our trees, now go home, you know. <laughs> Get out of our state and leave us alone. And so, um, so you look at one of those two, and, and if you say, you know, both of those aren't too hard, then you look at the next one, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and turn unto thee again, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Wow. Now, if you're easy to forgive, or if you're, uh, and, and when people ask for forgiveness, or if you're or if rebuking somebody that trespasses against you is easy, that going to them and talking to them, like Matthew 18 says, if you find that easier, if you land on either one of two, then I think all of us would agree that when, you, when you're dealing with a repeat offender, seven times in a day, I can tell them I forgive them, but, but can I actually forgive them? That's not in me. So I look at that and I think, just those things. Now, Jesus could have listed a thousand things. He could have gone back to what he taught him on the Sermon on the Mount. And ye have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. And look at those things and think, it's not possible that I do all those things and keep all those things. Because he's, he's telling them this truth, that it's impossible to live the Christian life. I can't do it. It doesn't matter how many times I try to pull myself up by the bootstraps and how many times I try harder and how many times I decide I'm not going to do that again or that I'm going to start doing that. I fail. And so the disciples, struck with the reality of what Jesus has said, 
Say, Lord, increase our faith. They really say, not just, not just Lord, increase our faith, but, but uh, faith there is the moral conviction, the reliance upon the trustworthiness of the conviction that though I can't, he can through me. And the disciples are literally saying, Lord, I'm not even sure that you can help me to do that. You've been there before. I'm not even sure, Lord, I'm not even sure you can help me give this person what they need. It sounds almost blasphemous, but, but Lord, I know you own the, the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mind. I know you have unlimited resources, but I'm not sure you can provide for this need. They said, Lord, increase our faith, increase our belief that though we can't, you can through us, our confidence, our expectation in you that, that you are able uh, to do anything, even what looks to us like it's impossible that you're able to do it. And Jesus says, you're, you're, the amount of your faith isn't the problem. Which leads me to believe that he, what he's saying is that it's not, it's not the amount of faith that's the problem, but it's what you place the faith in that's the problem. Yes, sir. If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you might say to the sycamore tree, be thou plucked up by the root, be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. The amount of faith that you have isn't the problem. Because when you place the little bit of faith that you have in a great God, he can accomplish the impossible. That there's nothing that he can't do. It doesn't matter what you're facing. That when you look at it, you think, what did I get myself into? When your faith is in him, it's no big thing for him. But when we're trying to figure it out uh, by every other means and trying to read all these books, I'm not, I'm not against reading and I read, but, but when our confidence and our expectation is that in this I will find what I need or that if I go to this seminar or this meeting or this conference or whatever it is, that that'll give me all the answers that I need, then the problem isn't my faith. The problem is what I've placed that faith in. And, and so when I place my faith in God, he's able to do what, anything. He's able to meet any need that I have. But then he says in verse 7, but moreover, nonetheless, how be it, however, this isn't a new thought. This is a continuation of what he's been saying. Which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, by and by when he has come from the field, go sit down to me? Will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup. You got a servant out in the field and he's plowing. Wearing himself out in the field under the hot sun. And Jesus said when he comes in, you don't, have, you don't expect him to whine and complain about it. You don't expect him to expect for you to feed him. You expect that he's going to do his duty and go and make lunch, go and make dinner. He's going to serve you. Jesus says, so likewise ye. When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty. 
See, our creator knows our nature. And he knows that as church planners, we can get down on our knees in front of a building and beg God that he'd let us have that building and go there every night praying over that building, fasting over that building, asking, Lord, would you, would you work and would you provide? And then he gives it to us and we can go into the building and pray, now God, would you fill these seats and I don't know where these people are gonna come from and we can lay the bills out before him and say, Lord, if you don't pay this, it's not gonna get paid and we can, we can rely on him and we can trust in him and we can even put our confidence in him and then when he blesses, we can take all the credit for ourselves. We can say, now I deserve a meal because I've been... I mean, after all, I came to this town and there was nothing. And by the work, by the sweat of my brow and the work of my back, I've plowed where no man had plowed. And now there's a, now there's a church here that did not exist before. And, and, look at, and look at what we have done. And we can say, look at what God has done. But what we're really saying is, look at all that I have done. I've knocked this many doors and I've preached this many sermons and I've done all these things. But I want to remind us this morning what I need the constant reminder of that if any church is ever built, it's not been built through the ability for me to exposit the scriptures and it's not been built. Lord knows it's not been built by my administrative abilities or by my organization or by the fact that I'm just that into things and, and in all these things. It's not been built by any conference that I've ever gone to. If a church has been built, it's been built the way that any New Testament church has ever been built. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I can't go to him and say, God, it's impossible and I can't do it. And then the next moment say, look at what I have done. Well, this marriage was about to fail. I helped him. There was nobody here and I knocked this many doors. People's lives have been changed by the preaching of the word of God. We can even say all the right things. Be grabbing little bits of glory for ourselves. I'm not, I'm not negating the work of church planning. I'm not saying it's not work. It's different work in different parts of the country. It's, it's, there's, there's different challenges. You can knock doors and see nobody come. You can have services where it's just your family there. It's hard. It's emotionally draining. I get that. In other parts of the country, you do... You do three remodels in seven years. It's, it's work. It's wearisome. People, it, I'm just saying, there's work in church planning. Wherever you're at, there's, there's an intense amount of work in church planning. But it's our duty. Yes, sir. I haven't done anything special. In fact, anything I've done is, is only been what he has done through me. It's a powerful truth. 
that ought to cause us to recognize that whatever we seek to do for God is impossible without God. Anything. Removing sin from your life, helping people that are hurting, planting a church, it's all impossible apart from God. And because that is true, he's worthy of all the glory. Every bit of it. Every, every single bit of it. So my, my it's not, you know, to tie back to the start, it's not like, look, look what, I don't, that's why sometimes I don't even like to talk about it. Because it's so easy for me to just, and get the big head. And think, yeah, look at, look at this. This is what's happened. This is good. Praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord for this. Praise me for this. Praise the Lord for this. Tell me how good I am. So easy. It's all him. Without him, wouldn't have happened. So give him the glory. And uh, in, in, in everything. It's not my discipline. It's not because I'm a good preacher. It's because God in his goodness decided to work. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.